0: Hello and welcome, I'm Eric
1: and I'm Sarah
0: and this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. This is a podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, and then follow the links and see where it takes us. Uh, As you may have noticed, uh, John is not with us today. It is my wife Sarah. Hello. And so, Sarah, what random article do you have? Are you on Wikipedia? Did you click on English? <laughs> i don't know are things. you, are you <laughs> okay there we go okay can you see the, more
1: warning about this. Do you see mm-hmm. random article
0: yes okay all right there and, we go all right and oh, man just make sure that you're talking into the microphone okay pull the microphone closer to your f- mouth or something okay okay all right what is your random article
1: kachi manao Uh, (laughs) Is a settlement in the administrative district of Gimabowo in the Starograd country Pomeranian voldership in Poland. Hmm. (laughs) A lot of words that are really hard to (laughs)
0: say. (laughs) 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 All right, well, mine is the HMS Montague. And it is a... Ship from 1779, um, and it was obviously an HMS, so it was in England. Um, which one sounds more interesting to you?
1: Well, my article is really short.
0: Mine's short as well.
1: Okay, mine's only like two sentences, so. Hmm. Um, With mine, there's going to be a lot of weird words, at least at first. So, Hmm. do we want to go the safe route? Or do we want to challenge ourselves? Is the real question.
0: Well, I feel like we've done a lot of um, hard to pronounce stuff (laughs) recently. Okay. So, maybe we should just go with mine.
1: All right.
0: Go up to search HMS space. M-O-N-T-A-G-U, 1979. And it's sometimes spelled Montague with an E. It says it was a 74-gun third-rate ship of the line of the Royal Navy. And it was launched on August 28, 1779 at Chatham Dockyard, Hmm. Okay, so this is interesting. It says Montague took part in the Battle of Cape St. Vincent in 1780 and the Glorious First of June in 1794. And apparently Glorious First of June is a link to an article. Sounds good to me. All right, well, let's go there and see what's up. Okay, so in, it was in 1794... It was the first and largest fleet action of the naval conflict between the Kingdom of Great Britain and the First French Republic during the French Revolutionary Wars.
1: There were 25 ships of the line, and there were 1,200 casualties, seven ships lost. Hmm. So, you know, not the worst as far as casualties go, but obviously it could have been a lot better.
0: Yeah. And yeah, It's um... Apparently at that time, the British fleet had more numbers, but the French ships were larger and stronger and carried a heavier weight of shot. So I guess they kind of equaled each other out.
1: Yeah, I guess so. It says, um... That the French Navy was in a state of confusion, although the quantity of the fleet ships was high, the fleet hierarchy was, um, driven by the same crises that torn through France since the revolution five years earlier. So it sounds like just because their ships were better doesn't mean they really Mm. knew what was going on.
0: Yeah. They just had a bunch of, like, good ships and they didn't know what to do with them.
1: Yeah, they tried. Yeah. Maybe. Let's hope so. This
0: one guy, um, they have pictured here, well, not pictured, but painted, Richard Howell. He looks like a mixture of (laughs) uh, George Washington and Jeffrey Rush.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a pretty perfect description. (laughs) So it looks like he was the commander-in-chief of the Royal Navy.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of um, military generals at that time had that foofy side hair.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny that hair used to be so long a couple hundred years ago, mm. and then short hair became like the norm. And yeah. it's just interesting like, and then in the 60s, if you were, like, being rebellious, you wore your hair long. And it's just mm. interesting how hair styles and appropriateness just has changed so much over time, yeah. specifically with men. Mm-hmm. So another portrait that's on the page is Louis Thomas Villaret D. Joyous. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. i <laughs> uh, not actually sure. Um uh, <laughs> He was the newly appointed commander of the Troubled Fleet, um, formerly known as in a junior position. He was known to possess a high degree of tactical ability Hmm. for the French Navy. So it looks like we got guys on both sides that are pretty important.
0: Hmm. So I guess this was shortly after uh, the Revolutionary War.
1: Yeah, it looks like it.
0: I mean, I didn't really think about that before, but... It would have been, like, just, you know, a couple decades after we had already fought um, Britain. So, it looks like they kept on (laughs) having a bunch of revolutions and stuff. One of the ships was called the HMS Impregnable. (laughs) Somebody's had some weird names.
1: Yeah...
0: Like, we have, you know, the good old HMS Montague, then you have HMS Thunderer, and HMS Alfred,
1: <laughs>
0: HMS Majestic, HMS Phaeton, they're kind of all over the place with their names here.
1: Looks like both sides had some benefit to this battle. Um, it says the of the British uh, It was tactical victory, but the French was strategic victory. Hmm. So, it doesn't look like they actually, either side, really lost. They both gained something pretty important.
0: Well, uh, this was like one of the first battles of this whole war, so they, it was, you know, they probably just, you know, called it quits and then uh, retooled and came back for another round after that.
1: Anything else you're finding interesting?
0: Mm, it's quite a hefty article.
1: Yeah, it's a little hard to get through get the uh, main points. Mm-hmm. Should we stay? Should we move on?
0: I, I think we should try to find another thing to go to here. There are very, are. very many to <laughs> <you> choose from. <laughs> people are really, really interested in this battle and want to really dig into it, they can go to this article. But, yeah. I think it's time for us to mosey on over to something else.
1: Anything particular you're looking at?
0: Mm, there really are a lot of links here.
1: We could go to one of these main... Leaders of the battles.
0: Hmm. True. Let's skim over here and see if there isn't any weird, strange links that jump out here. <laughs> what? There's a guy named Thomas Pringle. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we just go on over to um. Richard Howe
1: That's what I was thinking
0: okay. And he Is Richard Howe First Earl Howe That's what Comes up for his name That's what his article is called
1: He's known best For his service during the um, American Revolutionary War Oh He acted as a naval commander And peace commissioner With the American Rebels hmm. Looks like he took place in a lot of major things. Um, mm. Seven Years' War, American Revolutionary War, Spanish um, Armament, French Revolutionary War. There's a lot of major things that he took mm. part in. Looks like he held um, command for a lot of ships, too. HMS Baltimore, HMS Triton, Rippin, Cornwall, Glory, Dolphin, <laughs> Dunkirk. <laughs> it, the list just goes on and on.
0: He was born in... Albermarle Street, London. It's a weird... I guess the... I don't know. It's, maybe it's the sh- just weird wording. Because I feel like it should say he was born on Albermarle Street, London. Because... I don't know. It just makes it sound like Albermarle Street is a place. Like a... Yeah. You know. Like a town or something. But yeah. And he was the second son of Emmanuel Howe. Second Viscount Howe. So I don't I don't know what these weird like first second things are after these people's names. Maybe it has to do with um their military stuff.
1: Mm, maybe.
0: But yeah, his dad died as governor of Barbados mm. in 1735, and his mom was Charlotte who was a dar- daughter of Baroness von Kielmansegg, and then she was the Countess of... Wait, okay, hold on. I need to wrap my head around this sentence here for trying <laughs> to work out. Okay, so he was born of Charlotte, a daughter of Baroness von Kielmansegg, afterwards Countess of Darlington, the half-sister of King George the I. So I think Hmm. she yeah, she was the half sister of King George the First, I think is what they're saying.
1: Sounds right. I didn't know what HMS stood for before the ship names. Apparently it stands for Her Majesty's ship.
0: Hmm. It's
1: a little assistance for those who didn't know, like
0: I did. And uh, Richard Howe entered the Navy in the 4th-rate HMS Pearl in 1739. Then he transferred to the 4th-rate HMS Severn, one of the squadrons sent into the South Seas with Admiral George Anson in 1740. then that Severn uh, sailed to Cape Horn, and after encountering storms, returned home in 1742 so they went out and there were a bunch of storms they were like nope going back (laughs) ooh and then he served them in the West Indies on the third rate HMS Burford and was present when she was severely damaged in the unsuccessful attack on La Guerra in February 1743 during the War of Austrian Succession Yep, and then he just kept transferring different ships. We went down to a third, a fifth rate, one, and then got promoted to midshipman. I don't know what that is, and then re, uh, promoted to lieutenant.
1: For the Seven Years' War, uh, he was given command of the 4th-rate S- HMS Dunkirk, um, and was sent to North America as part of the squadron command by Admiral Edward Bosquin, and um, his capture of the French Alicide was the first shot fired in the Seven Years' War, so it sounded like it was pretty important in setting off the Seven Years' War.
0: Hmm and then he was elected member of parliament for Dartmouth in 1757 so I guess he was a member of parliament and he was still commanding ships Uh, but yeah later he was appointed a lord commissioner of the admiral admiralty admiralty (laughs) on the admiralty board led by John Montague fourth earl of sandwich In April 1763. Then he became the treasurer of the Navy in 1765. This guy just went on and just did everything. Oh. So at the beginning of the American Revolutionary War, he was actually known to be sympathetic to the colonists. Huh. And he was friends with Benjamin Franklin as well.
1: Anything else we feel like we need to cover?
0: No, yeah, we really got most of it here. There's a bunch of places named after him and he died in 1799 at age 73 and he was still serving in the um, Royal Navy at that point. Oh wow, so yeah, he would have been right up there in his. 70s, or late 60s, during that French Revolutionary War, so that's close to the end of his life there. I don't know, what if of, of this stuff seems interesting to go to? Go to Midshipmen, or go to a place, Link to Gibraltar, Ireland, London, Earldom, we could go to, um, John Montague, 4th Earl of Sandwich, and maybe hope to, um, get over to the Sandwich Islands and learn more <laughs> about what that is.
1: Yeah, it sounds good to me.
0: All right, let's go to John Montague, 4th Earl of Sandwich.
1: He was in office from the 19th of December, 1770, to the 12th of January, 1771, so really not a long time. Mm. Very short, actually. Yeah,
0: that's like a month.
1: He was born uh, 13th of November, 1718, and he passed on the 30th of April, 1792. So, you know, pretty decent Mm. life. Not too short.
0: Whoa, okay, so here we go. He succeeded his grandfather, Edward Montague third or Earl of Sandwich, as the Earl of Sandwich in 19, 1729 at the age of 10. Wow. That's pretty early for being, uh, you know, like a leader or like an, I guess an earl. I don't know what an earl is, actually, to be honest with you.
1: It is a member of nobility. The title is Anglo- Anglo-Saxon, akin to the Scandinavian form of Jarl, meaning chief chieftain. Hmm. Particularly a chieftain set to rule a territory and a king's steed. Stead, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess it's really just a title to rule a territory. Hmm. But still, ten is really early to do that.
0: Yeah. Well we did come to the right place because it says during his life he held various military and political offices and is best known for the claim that he was the eponymous inventor of the sandwich. Really? Yep.
1: Wow.
0: This guy is the one who did it.
1: It's weird to think that a sandwich had to be invented. Yeah. It it just seems like something that always would have been
0: yeah, I mean, it's like, it took this long for somebody to, like, <laughs> cut open a piece of bread and start putting stuff in.
1: Yeah, it just seems really strange.
0: I don't know how we lived on this planet for so long without sandwiches. I don't know. Let's see if it says what led him to his discovery. Here we go. Okay... So, the modern sandwich is named after Lord Sandwich, (laughs) but the exact circumstances of its invention and original use are still the subject of debate. A rumor in a contemporary travel book called Tour of London by Pierre-Jean Grossly formed the popular myth that bread and meat sustained Lord Sandwich at the gambling table a very conversant gambler lord sandwich did not take the time to have a meal during his long hours playing at the card table consequently he would ask his servants to bring him slices of meat between two slices of bread a habit well known among his gambling friends because john montague was the earl of sandwich others began to order the same as sandwich the sandwich was born The sober alternative is provided by Sandwich's biographer, N.A.M. Roger, who suggests Sandwich's commitments to the Navy, to politics, and the arts mean the first sandwich was more likely to have been consumed at his work desk. Mm. So, yeah, I, I feel like that makes sense. Like, I mean, I'm sure the gambling part is true as well, but... You know he probably had been doing that for a while beforehand doesn't really say how he first discovered it
1: I don't remember what the actual commercial was about but I remember a while ago there was a commercial and it started with saying the Earl of Sandwich and I just thought it was a joke Mm. I didn't think there actually was an (laughs) Earl of Sandwich I was like oh they're just (laughs) being weird and trying to be fancy but Yes, I was playing the fool in that place.
0: Yeah, I um I always remember the first season episode of Boy Meets World where he goes to a um like a geography bowl thing and he learns all about the Earl of Sandwich, <laughs> but he gets all the other questions wrong. <laughs> <laughs> What, do you want to just jump over to Sandwich?
1: Yeah, I really do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's see what's up with Sandwich. We're
1: just going to ignore the rest of his <laughs> life. All the important titles that uh, he had.
0: This is the only important thing that he did. Let's be honest.
1: He was uh, prime minister several times, and uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna look at any of that. We're just gonna go straight to sandwich. Yep. Okay. okay. When I was a kid, I used to think that sandwich was like witch W I T C H, uh, but I'm also a terrible speller, <laughs> so that's not really surprising <laughs> that I thought that.
0: Well, a sandwich would be pretty terrifying, I think. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's weird to be reading an explanation of a sandwich. Yeah. Cuz it's just one of those things you just you just know about. Mm-hmm. A sandwich is a food item consisting of one or more types of food such as vegetables, sliced cheese or meat between one or two p- place between Placed on or between... Wow, that was really hard to
0: actually,
1: <laughs> like, get straight in my brain. Of slices of bread. I mean, it's pretty obvious.
0: Yeah.
1: Or more generally, any dish wherein two, wherein two or more pieces of bread serve as a container or wrapper for some other food. I wonder how the, like, practice of making sandwiches spread... Like, if it mm. started with the Earl of Sandwich, how long did it take before it went to other countries? Yeah. You know?
0: Okay, well we got some history here. The modern concept of the sandwich using slices of bread, as found within the Western world, can arguably be traced back to 18th century Europe, as we discussed in the last article. However, the use of some kind of bread or bread-like substance to lie under... Or under and over some other food, or used to scoop up and enclose or wrap up some other type of food, long predates the 18th century and is found in numerous, much older cultures worldwide. So, I guess people had been sticking stuff between bread of some kind for a while, like a long time, but maybe. Um, Earl of Sandwich just started doing like I don't know the actual like sliced bread like mm-hmm. we have today
1: yeah cause in the, um, the, the deeper into the history of things that are similar to a sandwich it talks about um, matzah bread for Passover um, similar to the modern wrap sandwich made of flatbread Middle Ages, thick slabs, of course, usually stale bread, were used as plates. So hmm. it seems like people were using bread, but they it wasn't a specific yeah. sandwich. Like, there's a difference.
0: And the bread that they had back then was much different than the kind of bread that they started developing. Yeah.
1: Have you ever had matzo bread? No. Me neither. I feel like we should try that. Probably. Wait. No, I totally have. Never mind. <laughs>
0: Whatever.
1: <laughs> it was uh, during one of my like Sunday school things, mm. as we were talking about Passover. It was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a very unique texture, mm. being unleavened bread. The sandwich was first promoted as an elaborate meal at supper, whereas today it's a very simple, everybody does it mm. type of lunch food.
0: Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Maybe this may be your question. Um, it was initially perceived as food that men shared while gaming and drinking at night, and the sl- sandwich slowly began appearing in polite society as a late-night meal among aristocracy. Oh. And the sandwich's popularity in Spain and England increased dramatically during the 19th century when the rise of the industrial society and the working classes made fast, portable, and inexpensive meals essential.
1: okay. The first written usage of the English word appeared in Edward Gibson. Let's take a peek and see who Edward Gibson is, what he's so important about. Um, was an English historian and member of parliament. Okay, so that guy uh, in his journal in longhand referring to bits of cold meat as a sandwich. Mm. So apparently he was the first guy to actually take the word and write it down.
0: Mm.
1: It is said that he ordered his valet to bring him meat tucked between two pieces of bread and others began to order same as sandwich for the Earl of Sandwich. So I guess that's where the specific phrasing yeah. came from. The same as sandwich. Sandwich.
0: Yeah.
1: In the United States... A court in Boston, Massachusetts, ruled that sandwich includes at least two slices of bread. And under this definition, court finds that the term sandwich is not commonly understood to include burritos, tacos, and quesadillas, which are typically made of a tortilla stuffed with choice filling, meat, rice, and beans. Apparently they were very serious about making sure that burritos, tacos, and quesadillas were not considered sandwiches. Because <laughs> a whole court ruled about it.
0: Yeah, that it seems a ridiculous. And it says, it does say, the issue stemmed from the question of whether a restaurant that sold burritos could move into a shopping center where another restaurant had a no-compete clause no. in its lease prohibiting other sandwich shops.
1: Hmm.
0: That seems weird.
1: It doesn't say what year that happened.
0: Hmm. I'd be yeah. very interested
1: to know, but it doesn't look like they provide anything. There's a whole list of common varieties of American sandwich. Hmm. What's a Dagwood? I have no idea what Dagwood is. It's listed as one of the types dagwood. of sandwiches. Hmm. Dagwood is... A tall, multi-layered sandwich in variety of cheese, meats, and condiments it was named after Dagwood Bumstead, a central character in a comic strip, Blondie, who is frequently illustrated oh. making enormous sandwiches. Oh, wow, that is an enormous sandwich. They have a picture. Um.
0: Are we going over to Dagwood?
1: We don't have to. Just, I mean, we can. Do you want to go to Dagwood? There's also Mula Feta, which I've never heard of. And po' Boy, which I've also never heard of, so we can go to one of those, too. I would like to eat a Dagwood sandwich. Yeah. Would be a very <laughs> interesting feat for my very tiny jaw. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, let's just go to Dagwood see what's up.
1: Okay. According to Blondie, scripter Dean Young, his father, Cheek Young... Began drawing huge sandwiches in the comic strip in 1936.
0: Oh wow! So I guess this would be the earliest of the crazy-looking sandwiches. Yeah, this thing looks it seems nuts. Like a lot of cartoons tend to portray sandwiches like this, with the, you know just
1: like 80 r- different things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> between the a bread. A big giant assortment of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. In 1951, businessman Bob Wheeler and Art Lang opened a Dagwood-themed restaurant in Toledo, Ohio, with hopes of establishing a national chain. They had not licensed the Dagwood name and were ordered to stop using it by King Features. A Dagwood Diner spelled D-A-G hyphen W-O-O-D operated in Ann Arbor, in Michigan, until
0: 1971. Hmm. Oh, okay. So in 1999, a restaurant named Blondie's opened at Universal or Orlando's Islands of Adventure and served traditional Dagwood style sandwiches. And um, Blondie's bills itself as home of the Dagwood sandwich. The exterior displays a 20 foot plastic Dagwood sandwich over the entrance
1: that's an unusual place for orlando's islands of adventure just seems like an odd place to put that
0: yeah i don't know i mean it's it's possible that it is somehow owned by universal just because of the way companies are like you know one company owns another company, and then another company owns them, and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know. But yeah, it seems strange.
1: Have you ever been to the Islands of Adventure? I don't think so. We have to go then. Yeah. We have a lot to do in Florida. Yeah. Universal, Disney, obviously see your parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this article's pretty short. Yeah. So, do Ooh, we okay. want to go to Dean Young, the scripter of
0: Blondie? Maybe. I don't know. Let, me, let me just uh, go ahead and mention this thing. Um, the Blondie restaurant... Wait. Okay. So, there's another Blondie-themed restaurant called Dagwood Sandwich Shops. And it sold a 1.5-pound sandwich. Wow. And it was stacked with these ingredients three slices of deli bread, genoa salami, ham, pepperoni, turkey, cheddar cheese, provolone, lettuce, tomato, roasted bell peppers, banana peppers, red onion, deli mustard, and low calorie mayonnaise.
1: (laughs) Gotta have that low calorie mayonnaise. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I feel like at that point, you just might as well go all the way. But man, i if I saw a sandwich like that sitting in front of me, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you can't just take a bite out of that. (laughs) And it's like, it's not like a cake where you could just, like, slice a little chunk off and eat it, because it's still, like, it's the size of a loaf of bread, like, sitting upright. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There's just... I don't know. I mean, it's a fun idea, but...
1: Yeah, actually, (laughs) an execution trying to eat it. Yeah. It seems like something that would be on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Mm. Like, one of those crazy, like, you know, Food Network shows.
0: All right, so... All right, let's go over to this Dean Young. Okay, so Dean Young... Is the obviously writer of Blondie. He was born in nineteen thirty-eight. Oh, okay. He was born in nineteen 19- I was confused because in the last article it said something about something that happened in Blondie in nineteen thirty seven, so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he was born in 1938 and he was the head writer of Blondie, which he inherited from his father, Chick Young. Okay, so... Um, Dean Young inherited the comic in 1973 when his father died. And since then he, he collaborated with The artists, Jim Raymond from 1973 to 81. And then Mike Gersher from 81 to 84. And Stan Drake from 84 to 97. Then Dennis Lebrun from 97 to 2005. And Blondie is drawn currently by John Marshall. Who works with his assistant, Frank Cummings? So let's see. Dean Young would be 77 by now? Yeah. So I guess he will be getting ready to pass it on as well pretty soon.
1: Yeah, it looks like it. At least I would at his age. Yeah.
0: And yeah, so in 1986, uh, Young talked about his gag situations his approach to the characters of Blondie and Dagwood and satisfying his readers. also explained how he could be in Vermont and or Florida and collaborate with Stan Drake at his studio in Westport, Connecticut using Exxon's Quip fax machine.
1: He said, I like to deal mainly with domestic situations and I'm primarily sick with eating, sleeping, raising children, and making money. These are my four mainstays. I'll go through these categories and try to have all of my setups and situations come from those four primary concerns. These days, I often do um, ideas that will appeal to more feminist-type women. I don't want Blondie just to be stuck at home with gas involving her... gags (laughs) gags <laughs> see that's what happens when you try to read your <laughs> and you let your eyes go before your voice stuck at home with gags involving her to be limited to, to that setting alone i want blindie to be a complete woman and i want readers to respect her not only for her ability to maintain a home of her to but also for her to have her own mind and her own person that's pretty awesome yeah. That's that's good.
0: This is 1986 too.
1: Yeah. I think that's pretty a pretty important thing is I feel like a lot yeah. of a lot of times, you know, a lot of feminists are like if you stay at home, you're not using your full potential and yeah. that's, you know, not true. Being at home is just as important as being in the workplace or being anywhere mm. else. You know, it's all what God calls you to do.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see he continues on to say readers admire a character's personality and the way he or she is, they have affection and love for the character. A lot of the changes in the way Dagwood acts nowadays have to do with his relationships to women. I'm careful to see that he doesn't do things that might make a segment of women readers unhappy or upset. I don't want to make any group or persons unhappy with the way the Blondie characters behave. I want to make friends, not enemies. This was my dad's formula, and the advice he passed on to me in this connection has worked very well. I send Drake the scripts, and then when he gets his pencils done, he'll put them in quit machine in Westport, and I can see them instantaneously on my machine in Florida.
1: Wow! <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a time we live in. <laughs> Then if there are any things we want to talk about, we can get together on the telephone. By and, but by and large, there are not too many things we need to discuss on these occasions. I've got a quit machine up here in Vermont and one in Florida, so Stan and I can send graphics all up and down the east coast of the United States. The telephone people hook up a, hook a quit machine into your phone system. You make a phone call, put the phone down, and the Quip computer transmits Blondie as Stan has drawn it.
1: I didn't even know what a Quip machine was until right now. Me either. Huh. I'm surprised that they don't have a link to go to a Quip machine.
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: I'd really like- I'm gonna look and see what one looks like. It's
0: weird that it's made by Exxon.
1: Yeah, it just seems like an odd... thing. You know when Napoleon Dynamite, (laughs) Mm -hmm. when they have the time travel machine Mm -hmm. with the little thing that goes on his head? This is kind of what that looks like. (laughs) It kind of looks like the time travel machine from Napoleon. Are you looking at pictures? Yeah. For those uh, listeners out there, if you haven't seen Napoleon Dynamite, then your life is severely lacking in fun and creativity. So you should go watch it right now. Wow, this
0: is so, like... Strange.
1: Yeah. Hmm. There's also a bunch of, like, sewing machine pictures coming up. Hmm. Not too sure why that's the case. Yeah, this is definitely an interesting thing.
0: Yeah. All right, well, uh, we've come to the end of this article, so we really only have the option of... People.
1: Yeah, we could go to Blondie.
0: That's true. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I have. I'm not too familiar with Blondie. Me
1: neither. Let's go to Blondie. The launch date was September 8, 1930. Mm. Definitely has that very vintage look about it. Yeah. Blondie is an American comic strip created by. Is it Chick or Shick?
0: I say Chick.
1: Chick. I think so too. By Chick Young, which was the father of the man we were just talking about. Um, The success of the strip, which features the... Oh, crap. I always say this word. Eponymous. Mm -hmm. I always say that wrong. I'm glad I said it right for actually once. (laughs) Features the eponymous blonde and her sandwich-loving husband. Wow, led to the long run running of Blondie film series, 1938 wow. to 1950, I didn't know and about the popular that. Blondie radio program, 1938 to 1950. Wow, there is a lot going on with Blondie. We've ne- I've never yeah. heard of it.
0: Hmm. Like I, I'm, f- I mean, I'm like familiar enough with the comic strip, like. I know it exists I haven't really read it At all but um, I think it's one of the ones That's in like the Sunday paper every day Or not every day but Every week if it's the Sunday paper But um, I had no Idea that they Made films And stuff
1: It's like a whole little franchise
0: Yeah Maybe they'll reboot this one soon enough
1: just like they're doing with everything (laughs) yep there's a lot of running gags that they have um singing in the bathtub or interrupted usually by family members or Elmo I'm assuming Elmo is their pet while he's trying to relax in the tub things like that that just are very ordinary which I think is pretty great I think it's nice finding humor in ordinary things yeah little bit easier to understand the running gags if you know the characters because they're calling everybody out by name with zero explanation as to who they are and it's like well I guess this is funny (laughs) though I haven't actually experienced this or know what the heck they're talking about Uh, Dagwood's hobby is household carpentry which is interesting, um, but unfortunately his projects don't turn out really well, one of the running gags. Once he built a small cabinet for Blondie, actually accomplishing all the construction steps perfectly, but the result still falls fails because it doesn't fit in the space Blondie intended for it. Hmm. Mostly he is producing sawdust.
0: So it says that... Originally, this was designed to follow in the footsteps of Young's earlier Pretty Girl creations, Beautiful Bab and Dumb Dora. Um, Blondie was focused on the adventures of Blondie Boopadoop a carefree flapper girl who spent her days in dance halls. Oh
1: my gosh, it sounds hilarious.
0: The name boopadoo derives from the <laughs> scat singing lyric that was popularized by Helen Kane's 1928 song I want to be loved by you.
1: Oh, I want
0: to be loved by you.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> that makes more sense. It seems less out there and strange now that we have some context to it. <laughs>
0: But yeah, um oh wow, so I guess for almost three years it was just about Blondie herself. Hmm. But then on in nineteen thirty three, after much fanfare and build up, Blondie Boopadoop marries her boyfriend <laughs> Dagwood Bumstead, the son of a wealthy industrialist. Wow. So yeah, so even, like, this, like, the comic is, like, it is, you know, or has been for well over 70 years, like, for the first three years it was completely different. Yeah. Because she wasn't married at all.
1: I think a slow build-up is good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, apparently it was a really big media event.
1: Hmm.
0: And it was already, like, super popular.
1: For the uh, modern moderniza- Modernization... Modernization.
0: Modernization. <laughs>
1: modernization. Okay. Uh, while the distinctive look and running gags of blondie have been carefully preserved throughout the decades, a number of details have been altered to keep up with the changing times. Bumstead's kitchen, which remains essentially unchanged from the 1930s through the 1960s, has slowly acquired a more modern look. No more legs to the... On the gas range, no more refrigerators shown with a compressor assembly on top. There's flat panel computer screens. Dagwood no longer wears a hat when he goes to work, nor does Blondie wear her previous hat and gloves when leaving the house. So it's good to see that they're staying true to mm. the content yeah. while still making it, you know, tangible and recognizable for a modern audience.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go through the list of characters here. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, got Blondie Bumstead, used to be Boopadoot. Can't <laughs> <laughs> get over that. And then we got Dagwood Bumstead, her husband, who seems to be almost the more major character of this comic. Um, then Alexander Bumstead, who is the oldest child. Who is a boy. And then Cookie Bumstead, the younger child, who is a girl. (laughs) (laughs) And then Daisy, who is the family dog. Then there's Mr. Beasley, the postman. Mr. Julius Caesar Dithers, who is Dagwood's boss. Then there's Mrs. Cora Dithers, who is Mr. Dithers' wife. Herb Woodley, who is uh, Dagwood's best friend and next door neighbor. And then his wife, Tootsie Woodley.
1: <laughs> wow, these names.
0: And then there's a kid in the neighborhood who has a friendship with Dagwood called Elmo Tuttle.
1: Oh, so that's who Elmo is. I just assumed he was a dog because remember the running gag was him uh, busting in on him in the bathtub. Yeah, It just seems like something a dog would do not <laughs> 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 someone who's like an actual person. Yeah.
0: And then we got Lou, the diner counterman, the owner of and cook of Lou's diner, where Dagwood goes for lunch. And then we have Claudia and Di- and Dwitzel, the carpoolers with Dagwood and Herb.
1: Pretty nice cast of characters. Yeah. Seems pretty well rounded.
0: Oh, okay. And it looks like they kind of popped up over the years, like, um. Because they got married in 33, and then they had a son, Alexander, in 1934, and he was originally named Baby Dumpling. And oh, then his
1: pet name was Baby Dumpling. Right. Yeah, not
0: his actual. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and um, then in 1941 is when the daughter came around then later, Daisy, the dog, and her litter of five unnamed pups. Um, then in the 60s, Cookie and Alexander grew into teenagers. And then they stopped growing during the 60s when Young realized that they had to remain teenagers to maintain the family situation structured in ah. the street. Those
1: dang kids will never <laughs> grow up of like it when characters like cartoon characters don't really age
0: yeah
1: it just seems i don't know better it just seems like there's so much story for them to go through that it just makes sense for them to stay the same age like, I've been re-watching The Powerpuff Girls because I grew up on that cartoon, mm-hmm. and I don't think I completely realized that they're supposed to be, like, four or five, six years old because mm-hmm. they go to kindergarten, Yeah. and I just assumed that they were, like, eight or nine mm-hmm. based on all the superhero encounters that they have, mm-hmm. but they just never... They just stay in kindergarten <laughs> for, like, five seasons or so.
0: <laughs> oh, here. Let's check out this film section. Ooh, Yeah. Wow, there's a lot, of, lot of films.
1: a lot of films. Lot, lot of films. Wow.
0: Um. Okay, so Blondie was adapted into a long-running series of 28 low-budget theatrical B features hmm. by Columbia Pictures. Um, started in 1938, and the last movie was released in 1950. So that's a pretty decent run
1: faithfulness to the comic strip is a major concern of the creators of the series. So that's mm. that's nice. I want to yeah. stay true to the original.
0: Yeah, um, little touches were added that were uh, iconic to the strip, like Dagwood's sandwiches. And the running gag of Dagwood colliding with the mailman.
1: That darn mailman. They're <laughs> always colliding.
0: <laughs> so I'm kind of interested to see who like or what like what they looked like in the movie so you got arthur lake who played dagwood
1: well it looks like you can find some of the films on youtube
0: really mm-hmm.
1: blondie uh 1968 version opening credits to cbs sitcom. Blondie and Dagwood's Second Wedding Workout There's also Blondie and Dagwood Dagwood's New Suit Of the Old Time Radio So you can get a little bit Of radio action in there hmm. Yeah, it looks like uh, They're not as lost As I assumed they would be
0: mm-hmm.
1: There's also a couple um, Blondie comic strips In PDF that you can get too
0: hmm.
1: And even though PDF Was a thing on YouTube It's
0: on, on YouTube?
1: Mm-hmm It's on YouTube. Don't know exactly how that works. (laughs) But, um, yeah.
0: Oh, here we go. We got the first Blondie movie in its entirety.
1: First ran on NBC for 26 episodes. Um, for the television sitcoms. And then the second broadcast was on CBS during 68-69 season. And it looks like the, um, the actors changed mm. for the 57 NBC episodes, um, with Lake reprising his film and radio roles and Pamela Britton as Blondie, and then the second, when he was on CBS for 6869, had Patricia Hardy and Will Hutchins for the lead roles. Mm. And veteran comic actor Jim Backus playing Mr. Dithers.
0: Alright. Okay, well, I guess that should just about do it. So, from HMS Montague 1779 to Blondie comic strip. Um. If you enjoyed this, please visit facebook.com slash TWCPodcast and give us a like and follow. Head over to iTunes and rate and review us. And you can also find new episodes on our website twc.erictoribio.com And I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Benny Moten for our outro song. And thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. I was Sarah. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles i